Greetings everybody. Today we continue to talk on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we are in 1 Corinthians 15 and we basically going to discuss from verse 5 where it says he was seen of Cephas then the 12 and so forth. But let me just give you a quick overview of what we've said in the previous two Sundays. I want to read from uh, verse 1. This is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 I believe is one of the most radical, clear passages that teach us on what the early church believed the gospel was. This is believed to be written by the Apostle Paul, and he declares what he received from God, what the others believed. This piece we're going to read here is basically one of the earliest creeds in the New Testament. Uh, it is believed that this creed was developed between five and ten years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where they would come together in the church and say this together. Creeds and sermon summaries like we find in Acts 13 uh, and different places, Acts 3 and so forth, where they say, and Peter preached and it was kind of now written in what he said word for word. is not actually a word for word account, but a summary wherein these people, which didn't have everything written down, put it into a shorter message that everybody could memorize so that they could know what Peter preached and what Paul preached. Now one of those summaries is what we are about to read here in the first three or four verses. This is, like I said, one of the earliest creeds in the Bible. And I think this is a very important thing and I wouldn't think it uh, would be wrong if you come together at cell groups and in churches, home churches, even as we have communion together, to have this creed and say it out loud. Uh, not that I say we must have rituals, but it's about being reminded of what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is. I read from verse 1, it says, <coughs> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So uh, this is very important. And in my uh, first session on this, caused, caused a little bit of controversy. Uh, but I want to just go through this again and look at what this passage says. Paul comes and he says, I'm about to declare to you the gospel. And now he's going to explain the gospel. This is beautiful. Imagine you go in... Uh, somewhere in close to Jerusalem or somewhere there and you, uh, you go into a cave and you find a book roll there and this is an uh, authentic writing of one of the letters uh, uh, that has not been read for thousands of years and it has got the true gospel written onto it. Imagine how beautiful it would be if you could discover such a scroll. Now, we don't have to discover that. We've already discovered that. That is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 is such a scroll which was discovered in such a, a way, which is an, an ancient writing and which declares what the gospel is. If we could have a scroll to tell us what the gospel is, it would be wonderful. And we do have one. This is 1 Corinthians right here. Um, and when you read it, I want you to know that as you read it, you're not just reading from the Bible that was printed by uh, whosoever. It, 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 that, that's not what you're reading. You're reading a translation of what a man who lived on the earth 
called the Apostle Paul, who actually saw Jesus, who was willing to be martyred for what he saw, wrote down. That is what you're reading. So it says here that he wants to preach the gospel that he originally preached. He wants to preach it to them again and confirm that he has not changed his message and that it is the truth. He also go so far as to say that these people unto whom he preached, that they have already received this message. That word received there, paralambano, means to join yourself together with which is the very same word that is used in John, or the, the, the root word for that word is used in John chapter 1 verse 12, where it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to receive the very being of God or to become the sons of God. Now that word receive, uh, lambano means to grab a hold of and to use. So he's writing to people that has taken unto themselves, grabbed the hold of, and really used the original true gospel that Paul did preach to them. And then he says, and wherein you stand. So he was saying to them that you received it, you believed it, and you are still believing it. But in the back of Paul's mind, as he's writing this, he is concerned about what I would think would be the teaching of the Sadducees, and also some other Greek philosophy that came into the church here. And they were teaching that the resurrection of Jesus basically took place, but that the, there would not be a bodily resurrection of the believer, that there is no such a thing as a resurrection. That is what they were talking about. And this message was starting to do the rounds in the church. That's why this letter addressed to the church, uh, Paul comes in verse 12 and he basically says that there are now some of you that say that there is no resurrection for the believer. Talking about a bodily resurrection. What they were teaching is basically what we found in many churches today wherein the bodily resurrection of Christ uh, and how it took place is basically seen as different to what will take place in our case with our bodies because we became so taken up with science and with uh, politi political correctness and all those kind of things that we feel like fools to say our physical bodies would be raised. Sadly in the church that's not even really seen. That message is not actually Taught. It's something that's in the back of the mind that's not clear to people. But here Paul comes, he says, you guys did believe this. You are standing in this. Yet there are some, according to verse 12, we're starting to move away from this. Now verse 2, and this was the verse that there was a bit of controversy about. It says, by which you are saved. So he's saying the gospel you received, which was the message that Jesus was raised from the dead, which will also save you from physical death and save you from fruit in the flesh, and bring forth the life of God, that message you have received and you still believe it, and you will be saved by this truth that Christ was raised from the dead. You'll be saved by this good news, and then there's a big if there, and it is a condition. You cannot reason it away. It was by the hand of the Apostle Paul written there, 
And he wrote it there for a reason. And the context is the very whole chapter. On why he wrote it there. Because he didn't want people to fall away from what he has taught them. It says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So what he is saying here is that people would believe that Jesus was on the earth. They would believe he is a Messiah. But Paul preached the Messiah crucified. There were some that say, no, no, uh, this crucifixion thing is not what it's all about. It's actually about all the advice he gave us and how he lived and those kind of things. Having an effect on politics and so forth. But that was basically it. And that he died and that he was resurrected. But there's no resurrection for us. There's no resurrection for us. And that is not actually important. That is basically what... So they believed, but they didn't believe that Christ... That they would be raised. That is the thing. They would believe Christ was raised, but they didn't believe in bodily resurrection for themselves. And we can go and see that uh, from... uh, Today we're going to look at that anyway in the Scriptures. And he said that if you believe that, Your belief was in vain. You believe in vain. Meaning, defined later in 1 Corinthians 15, in vain belief as, you're not going to have the salvation. You're not going to, you see, church, this is a, and I have to address this again. (coughs) Because there is a, a, a fear in the hearts of people when they hear there's a possibility that after they've believed that they might lose their salvation salvation works this way salvation in the bible and one day i'll make a teaching on on all of that is has much more to do with a futuristic event on what will happen in the future the bible says we shall be saved here it says clearly in verse 2 by which also you are saved, that word saved there says that by this gospel I am saved. Yet in many other uh, instances, we find the Bible, Bible talks about salvation as a futuristic event wherein man is saved from the grave. Like Jesus prayed to God who was able to save him, Hebrew says. Save him from what? Save him from death. Now, we who believe in the Lord... We receive the Spirit whereby we shall be saved from death. Remember when we talk about the armor of God, the Bible says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. So what protects our mind? The hope that we shall be saved from the grave. And that is what I believe the context here is. Now, As we believe upon that hope, the Bible says we are now saved by that hope. Meaning that as I expect that the Spirit of Christ would raise me from the dead as Jesus was raised, I today receive that Spirit and I already start to see the first fruit of the salvation which I shall attain unto in the day that Jesus Christ returns. Now, I can go and break that down for you in a message um, and prove that to you from Scripture, which I'm not going to do now. I'm just mentioning it. You can go and study it out for yourself. So what Paul comes and does is, he says, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preach unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So to me, that 
my reasoning would simply be, as long as what you believe that Jesus died, he was raised, and from there you have eternal life, and that was promised to you by his doing, and he will keep it, that, that is now putting you in the place where you are drawing upon God for salvation. But the moment you don't believe in the resurrection anymore, or that there's a resurrection for you, it is a problem. I can tell you now, if Paul would appear right here, and you would ask him, listen, would it be a problem if I don't believe that, if I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian for many years, but I don't believe that I will be bodily raised anymore. Do you see any problem with that? You're not going to find the Apostle Paul, and you will know that by the spirit and the intuition of your heart. Say, ah, no problem. That's all okay. Believe that way. That's all fine. And it's just for a little bit of a better life now, let me correct you. He's not going to say that. We don't find the Apostle Paul having that uh, in, in the undertone of his voice there. I want to read something else. Um, this is going to be Second Timothy 4 and verse uh, 6. This is now Paul talking about him uh, just about to die. He says, For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, <laughs> why would Paul write that? Ask yourself the question. Look at this like a lawyer would look at this and as a judge would look at this in a court. Why would a person write and say, well, I've come to the end of my life now. The time of my departure where I will not continue to live anymore here where my, ha my life would now be in the hands of God has come and I have fought a good fight. So it talks about a fight that he was fighting. What was the fight that he was fighting? What was the race that he was running? It seems to me as out of this passage as if it was all about keeping the faith. Keeping the faith does not mean, as we find in the traditional word of faith, keeping the faith that I'm going to have a breakthrough in money and wealth and prosperity and those kind of things. It is the faith that uh, Jesus died, was raised, and that there is a promise of resurrection for us. For that is the very reason why the Apostle Paul was persecuted. That was also the very reason why Rome and, um, and, and uh, uh, Nero and all these people would take the church people and burn them set them on fire and kill them that was why the killing of the church was so um, significant in the early church times because they were killed because they taught that they will live forever then to make a mockery out of their doctrine they killed them and they were killing them all the time. And I tell you, if you see people being killed all the time for believing that there would be a bodily resurrection, the fight and the race is to keep the faith that there will be a bodily resurrection because we are seeing people dying left, right, and center. And we even find the very apostles um, as well as the people who did see Jesus after the resurrection die. And if you see them die, you might come to a place where you are doubting if you would be raised. And now he says here that he has kept the faith. When it talks about keeping the faith, it means continual reliance upon God that uh, there would be a resurrection. 
for him himself. And that's how the Christian goes to the grave, with that belief in his heart. And that belief in the heart today has got a major effect on a person's life right now and today. Now, I've also looked at Galatians, and I'm not going to go into that, where he says that it talks to people that has already believed. And he says to them, I don't want you to fall away from the influence that God has on humanity through Jesus Christ, where you put your reliance upon him. Belief, my friend, is not a... um, you cannot say, I believe. Believe to me is a present continuous thing. If I believe, it means my mind is now at rest. If my mind is not at rest at the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I fully, from the depth of my heart, not just my mind, I'm talking about the mind of the inner man, that the seat of your heart where you truly come to a point where you don't believe that there was a man like Jesus, that he was raised from the dead and that you would have a resurrection. If you don't believe that, I doubt how you, I doubt if you will be saved but I, because I cannot see what you would draw upon to bring forth salvation. I cannot see that. And Paul was writing this warning Two people that were, that has already received. My question is this. If he writes and he says, I preach unto you that which you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you shall be saved if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless you believed in vain. It talks about that they have believed. It talks about that they have received And he says to them, you keep the faith until the end. Those who believe until the end shall be saved. And that is how I see it. And that is how I believe scripture teaches this. The fear that there is, is what if I doubt about my money now? And what if doubt comes to my mind? You know, the place where you doubt is in your mind. The place where the devil will bring doubt is in your mind. Like Jesus, when he was in the desert, you are not tempted if you are not drawn away by an evil desire. The Bible says Jesus was tempted by the devil. He first became hungry. His flesh was screaming for life. He was not seeing life in him. And that was the place of temptation. That is where doubt enters in. That is where you start to wonder what is going on. So I want to say this to you. That when your mind wants to play games with you, well, was Jesus raised? Wasn't he raised? One day you're very sure, the other day you look at what somebody said about it and you're doubting a little bit, was he? But your heart actually do believe it and you can feel and know it in your heart. No problem. No problem with that. We will go through temptations in this world. We will go through difficult times. And God is not a God that judges, that says, well, did he have a moment of weakness there and now let me kill him? No, it is about your belief, the, 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 the continual trusting in the heart. And we find here that Paul is encouraging these people to continue in the belief. And now he comes, and because the reason why he is repeating himself 
if you read 1 Corinthians here, is simply because of verse 12. And it says there, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So the question here was not, as if these believers believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. But what they didn't believe was that they will be raised. Because if you read on, you will now see his conclusion. He actually goes so far as to say that if we will not be raised from the dead, then Christ was also not risen. You believe that he was risen. You have to make this bottom line conclusion that it is for you as well. And that is actually where we start to experience the freedom from fruit in the flesh today. Now, I don't have time to go into that. I've got many messages on that. Um, uh, but I want to go to verse 5. And this is what I, the message I actually want to get into today. Paul comes and he emphasizes that Jesus was actually bodily raised. And that that concludes that we will also be raised. Let us just look at verse 13 again. He says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, he's not referring to Jesus now, he's referring to us. Then Christ, then is Christ not risen. Then he says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. So what he was saying is he was saying if you go around in the church and you preach that there is no bodily resurrection for the believer, it's just as good as saying Jesus was also not raised. And if Jesus was not raised, imagine he was never raised. How will we be saved? impossible so he was saying if you say that there's no resurrection for you it's equivalent to saying that there was no resurrection of jesus therefore we are still dead in our sins let us eat drink and die that was what paul is saying now you might say back to you, you know really hammering on the resurrection well that's what paul did and i'm not doing it because paul is doing it i th i think i'm doing it because uh, 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 not because Paul did it, but for the reason why Paul did it. The reason why Paul wrote it was he saw confusion in the church and that people were not believing this. And in the mind of Paul, saying that there is no bodily resurrection, I mean, we've got people that want to redefine the bodily resurrection and two Sundays from now, we're going to get to what a spiritual body is, or maybe next Sunday, what is a spiritual body actually? Because a spiritual body is referred to as the spirit of a human being by most churches. And that is not what Paul is saying. And he's saying, guys, going off there is dangerous. Is da it's dangerous. If Paul would sit here to me, uh, today here with me at this table, I'm very sure that if we would discuss and say, Paul, uh, if people say that there is no bodily resurrection for us, but it's just dying and go to heaven, that's basically what it's about. What's... Can you comment on that? What do you think would Paul have said? <laughs> In the light of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you now what he would have said. Because I can read it here. He says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you, 
among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See how he takes it unto his own. He says, if you believe that there is no resurrection, you believing in vain. What does in vain belief mean? He says here, and if Christ be not risen, then are preaching vain and your faith is also vain. What does it mean to have vain faith? That means to have a trust that you will have eternal life without Jesus being bodily raised from the dead. Paul's conclusion is, if you believe Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and you veer away from that effect on the physical human being today and how it brings salvation to us, seeing salvation in that perspective, if you veer away from that and be against it. Now you must remember the context here is not people that believe that Jesus was raised and that there will be a resurrection and they don't have good understanding on what's going on there. No, the context is people that did receive the truth, that did believe in a bodily resurrection, and now they are moving away from that belief. They are moving away. Most people in the church do believe that Jesus died, that he rose, and that they will be saved by this Jesus rose again. Most people believe that there is a bodily resurrection. They maybe not understand, have the eyes of their understanding enlightened in what they do believe, but the problem is, if you have already believed what is true and understood it, like the people in Corinth here, and you now deciding, well, I change my mind, I say that there is no resurrection. He says that is as good as saying, Christ was not raised and your faith in vain. That is what Paul is saying in the context of 1 Corinthians 15 here. So I, I believe that it's very important for us to have full reliance on Jesus only. And wherever you see the fruit of the flesh in your life, all you do is you say, Jesus, this I can't change by my own power. I rely upon you. I rely upon you. And that is enough. Amen. It is actually so simple that it's scary. Let's read verse 5. It says, And he was seen of Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the twelve. Now, um, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and it's not meet for me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now the resurrection is our assurance. We also find that in Second Peter 1 verse 16. It says, we have not followed cunning divisive fables, when we were made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That coming of the Lord was not just talking about the coming one day, but the coming when he uh, basically came into his glory when he was raised. And he also talks about when there were eyewitnesses. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, talking about when they heard the voice, this is my beloved son. 
It also says in Acts 17 verse 31, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. Assurance of what? Assurance of our resurrection. So I think it's time the church get into the gospel. The gospel is the message of our resurrection. And as you draw upon a immortal, physical, sinless body and the truth of it, which is always in full peace and harmony with God, which always is in full obedience to God, which is the fullness of God manifested in human flesh, as we see that truth and expect the end, our end to look like that by His doing, we are veering away from killing ourselves by works righteousness. And that is why we are then seeing the fruit of the Spirit or the first fruits in our lives today. That is the pathway unto holiness. That is the pathway unto righteousness. Uh, a sound life, a sound mind by simply relying on what? is immortal the moment you distantiate yourself from the immortality bodily resurrection of jesus you will find it's basically the strong world that lives a very good life because you live a good life by obeying the scriptures and living a good life by obeying the i obey the scriptures or i don't want to go to hell there's so many motives and things that will produce a kind of a holy life in you but it will not be a result of the holy life which is christ that is my my view on that i know it's very radical and that there are many folk that differ from this opinion uh but what can i say that is what i believe the scripture states now, we're going to look at, continue there, look at some interesting points. We look at uh, Peter. I, I, in my notes, those of you who got the notes, maybe by the time you get the notes, I've corrected this. Uh, verse 11 must be after the notes I've made there, about verse 5 to 10. In verse 5 to 10, we see that he talks about Peter, that Peter saw him. Peter, remember, that he was a very important figure in the church then. And by the time Paul wrote this, it was many years after the resurrection of Christ, wherein Peter was seen as a major figure in the church. We find that this uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 was already um, uh, um, edited by the way the church would see things into a document which would be believable. Uh, which is powerful, but not as powerful as Mark, for instance, which didn't try to write a document which is believable, but he came and spoke about the resurrection, and he said the woman saw him first. And woman was mentioned, which back in those days, I went and read some stuff on the law of that time, uh, wherein a woman's testimony should be counted equal to that of an animal. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't see the testimony of woman as as valuable in a court of law it was as good as as what nobody said anything yet we find that the disciples used the testimony of woman which is called the, the the embarrassment factor where it was embarrassing that these great big shots did not believe that jesus was raised but that the woman did believe which makes what they wrote uh, 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 plausible because who will write such a lie who would write such a degrading thing but here we find in the writings here that it was basically edited into a more believable for the time period writing. And he starts here 
and he says, look at, the, look at Peter. Peter saw the Lord. Talking about a physical resurrection. Then he goes on, he says, and then he was seen by more than 500. And you will see there in the notes that it then therefore cannot be hallucination. Because how can 500 people have the very same hallucination? That cannot be demonstrated in any court of law. Under any controlled circumstances, can somebody, 500 people, have controlled hallucination? That is impossible. So I believe what Paul is trying to say here is this wasn't an hallucination. If it was just Peter, it might have been an hallucination because hallucination happens in people that really do grieve. Um, that it, it is said that they see, but only 7% of people according to our modern statistics, do have an hallucination of a loved one that has died should they be in great grief. So one can still say, Peter did see the Lord, but it might be an hallucination. But the very next thing that Paul mentioned is, and then he was seen then of more than 500 at once, ruling out hallucination, explaining what kind of a meeting Peter had bringing the people's minds to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ with the conclusion in verse 12 and 13 of the, that, that we will also have that, telling them that denying this is as good as denying the physical resurrection of Christ himself. Okay, he goes on, then he says that he basically appeared to James. Now, James, if you go and study it out, was a skeptic. And did not believe in his brother Jesus, but was converted later through Jesus appearing to him. So can you see how Paul is bringing facts to the table, wherein he wants to convince these people of the bodily resurrection. And I think, as I studied this out, uh, uh, I cannot but conclude that the Sadducees, I don't have historic proof for this, but I cannot but think that the Sadducees, which preach that there is no resurrection, has got their finger in the pie here, and what they were taught, te teaching the people, that the resurrection of Jesus was an hallucination. It was as what happened to Peter when he was in jail. Remember when Peter was in jail, the angels opened the gates, and he came out and knocked at the door, and then the young girl came and saw Peter there, and she was so scared that she ran in and said, it is Peter, and then they said, ah, it can't be Peter, it's just his spirit. Now, I think that the Sadducees and some of the Greek philosophers somehow had some Sadducees that there wasn't even a thing like a spirit. Uh, but there was some influence from a group of people that didn't believe in the resurrection here. And Peter was really there. They opened the door at the end of the day, and it wasn't hallucination. Here Paul comes, and he's in that very same mind. He's addressing that kind of a thought. Because the end of the thing is, Bodily resurrection for you, and from now until then lies the beautiful thing called the fruit of the Spirit, which is by the doing of God. And that's what he wants the church to live in. That's why he doesn't want them to change their faith, because it was possible for them to change what they believed. Otherwise, why the whole writing? It goes, why all the warnings in the New Testament anyway? Uh, he goes on in, uh, and he says here, James, who was a skeptic, basically then believed how did James believe? Remember, if you go and read Mark 3, verse 21 and 31, it talks about James, that the brother of Jesus, that did not believe in Jesus. But this James, we find later on, being the, the, the head guy of the church in Jerusalem. He's the main guy in Jerusalem. So from a skeptic to 
the head pastor in Jerusalem, what happened in between? Paul records that Jesus appeared to him. Now, do you think that through some form of hallucination, such a great change will happen to this guy? You might say maybe, but if you read, if you read his life and you go and read what Josephus and um, some of the other historians says, Clements of Rome and so forth, they said that this James became a martyr. So here Paul comes and he says, James became a martyr. Now, liars and people that just saw a little bit of hallucination don't make good martyrs. Here he became a martyr. Pointing to the bodily resurrection. Can you see how he hammers the fact with proof that there was a resurrection? It became a creed. This was basically part of the creed. That he died and that he was buried and that he was raised and seen by some. Some has died, but it was a creed. They repeated it. James saw and all those things. Putting into the people's minds while they see Christians being murdered and killed, having something that can be stronger than what they're seeing here. There was a bodily resurrection. Even if they kill you, don't worry. You, they cannot kill your body. Your body will maybe now die, but it will be raised. That power that we're talking about there brings forth a life in you where you are not controlled by the physical anymore or the flesh anymore, but where you in the flesh have Christ now living you. That's what, it's, that's what it's about. We read on, we says here, so we've dealt with James. Says, Paul stresses what he saw and preached was exactly when he talks about him now seeing Christ out of due time, as one born out of due time. And he stresses that he was born out of due time. What he's trying to communicate is, I saw exactly what they saw. I didn't see a vision. I hadn't seen it. I saw what they saw. The only difference between me and them was time. I was born out of due time. So he says, they saw the bodily raised Jesus. Then this re resurrected Christ went into the heavens, wherein I think some people say, you know, when he went into the heavens, he became a ghost. He became a spirit or something. But now Paul comes and he brings his experience to the table. And what he brings to the table is... I saw exactly what they saw, but just in a different time. And then he goes on and he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead bodily, how say some amongst you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then I preach in vain and your faith also vain. Now that is, <laughs> that's very, very powerful. Let's go to verse 15, move on. Yes, and we would be found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. If it's not possible for God to raise the dead, raise us one day. And we testify that Christ was raised from the dead. We are liars and we testify falsely about God. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. Hmm. That is, I mean, you don't even have to teach on that. 
it is as clear as daylight. If Christ, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. I think what he's trying to say here is, if it is not possible for Christ to raise, for God to raise the dead, if God doesn't have the ability to take my body that might have been in the grave for a thousand years and raise it up, then it would also not have been possible for God to raise Jesus up. And since we have testified that Jesus was raised, we cannot but conclude that that is also ours. And if we say that this is not true, it is just as good as saying that Jesus was not raised. Okay. Uh, I'm skipping some of the notes here. We go to verse 18. And we're going to conclude now. It says, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If this life only, we can go and read there what Adam Clark said. I've put, it, I've put uh, his commentary in there for you. It says, if in this life only we have hope, it would be better to translate and point uh, this verse as follows. And if in this life we have hope in Christ only, we are more to be pitied than all men. And this is quoting from another place in the Bible now. If in this life we have no other hope and confidence but in Christ and if he still be dead and not yet risen. We are more than to be pitied than any of the men. We are sadly deceived. We have denied ourselves. We have been denied by others. We have mortified ourselves. And we've been persecuted by our fellow creatures on account of our belief and hope in one who is not existing. And therefore can neither secure us nor reward us hereafter. So what he's basically saying is, is if we preach hope in this life only, meaning that, um, that there is no resurrection, and if Christ was not raised, and we can only have hope in this life, hope in this life is only by the law, meaning there's no resurrection. Remember, the context here is not going to heaven. The context is resurrection. We've taught that passage as if we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied because we don't only have hope in this life, we also have hope in heaven. No, what he's saying is we don't only have hope now, we even have hope in this life. And should we die here, we have the hope of the resurrection, which is the glorified life in a human body. That is the context of that passage. Please Anybody who studies this, any scholar will tell you the context here is bodily resurrection of the dead. And then I'm ending off with verse 20. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and he became the first fruit of them that slept. So what is the first fruit? It's the first fruit that comes from the tree, so that you can look and see what kind of a fruit this tree will bear. The fruit it will bear is exactly what Jesus had, and that is our hope, and that's what we believe in. Let's continue to believe in. Let's run the race, even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of people ridiculing us, and all those kind of things. We, 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 we uh, uh, fight the fight. Fight the fight means we are not giving in, and we are stubborn about this. We run the race. And the Bible says, as, and, and when Paul talks about running the race, he says, as to get the prize. In other words, not to give up halfway. Wherein we, not by our own power to, 
try to continue because the Bible says that belief in this truth also gives us patience. Patience means to wait for God to do what he has promised, which is the resurrection from the dead. So he says, let us fight the fight, run the race, and keep the faith. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I go through everything I'm going through that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, I don't want to be found with my own righteousness, but I count these other things but dung, lest I be found with my own righteousness and not attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So uh, Jesus warned. He said, let us, let, us, let us be careful for the leaven of the Pharisees, for this leaven is deadly. You know, let us keep in the simple gospel. Now, some of you might say, well, what if I just have one legalistic area in my life? I might, I might not even know, but I raise my child in a legalistic way here or there or whatever. I don't have anything to do with that. What I have to do with, with 1 Corinthians 15 is teaching you. And as you continue in 1 Corinthians 15 and what the message of the resurrection is and where we are not saved by our works, you will have a renewed enlightenment and even by the power of God be taught into the truth and the Spirit will guide people who is in the truth. He will teach them then and guide them in all truth. And that sometimes is a bit of a process. All I'm saying is we cannot throw away the foundation because whereon will we build? The Bible says those who build on any other foundation, they wouldn't stumble, will not stand the test of time and the test of time is immortality. That is what it's all about. Well, I want to thank you so much that you've listened to this message. It was an honor for me to preach it to you. I know there's a lot of information. Glory to God that you can rewind and listen again. And the greatest of all, glory to God that you can speak to God himself. From your heart, you can speak to him and he will speak to you. We will then talk again next week.